everybody episode 27 of the baby mamas it took us a couple weeks but we finally got back in the studio <laughs> i feel like we're constantly lying to you telling you yeah we have studio time book next week and last week we were like let's not go actually no last week we had a real reason yeah what was the reason you were having some cramping and our midwife told you to relax and i was like well packing up all our shit hoofing it to the library and like doing all that is not you taking it easy so she was on bed rest for a day two, two days. days i took a voluntary extra day yeah because that's how i roll yeah and it was scary though because it was like it wasn't round ligament pain which i can hear you all saying it's round <laughs> ligament pain no fuck <laughs> you it's not round ligament pain it was like period cramps and it was coming like rhythmically mm-hmm. and it was really stressful and really scary. Mm-hmm. Lasted for about 20 minutes. It was more painful than anything I've experienced so far. Since you've been pregnant or just like in life? No, God, in, since being pregnant. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, she was having it at work. So she was like, she said, she was just like, you need to come get me. It's like, all right. So we got home, called the midwives, left a message, waited for them to call us back. They called us back, talked to Ange about it a bit. And by that point, they had stopped. There was no spotting. They're like, okay, it's probably fine. Just try and take it easy. And then it happened again after you went to sleep that night. Yeah, in the middle of the night. And our doula had recommended that if you can't get them to stop from like a bath, then that's something you should be um, talking to your midwives about. So I ran you a bath and that did help. It made them go away. And then it happened one more time? Yeah, I think it happened again the next day briefly for a couple minutes, but... But from the end of it, we think it was just her uterus expanding because that belly popped out a little bit after that. So Pregnancy is still really scary, even though we're this far along. I know. It's like you think you get past 12 weeks and you're like, okay, nothing to worry about. But that's so not the case. We also got our genetic test results back and we're all good. So that's another sigh of relief. But there just doesn't seem like there's any point really that you're just like, okay, nothing to worry about now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You seem to have been feeling better lately, but you're definitely moodier. What do you mean by that? <laughs> See what I mean, guys? I'm scared. <laughs> Someone come help me. <laughs> well, if you weren't so fucking stupid. <laughs> Honestly, like there have been so many. I think it was almost every day for like three or four days. And I was just like, I don't know what to say to you because everything I say makes you mad. Like we got into a huge like back and forth like argument or whatever about how many vegetables should be in your meal and you got so mad at me and I was like okay I don't I can't don't know how to do this anymore that's because you were being a little bit condescending no I wasn't you totally were I wasn't you were being condescending I wasn't you were just taking it as condescension but that's not how anyway I already know you're supposed to have like half vegetables when you're having a meal are you excited to hear our fight again I'm so excited to relive it for you because it was the best Okay, let's move on. Um, I'm still pregnant. I'm showing. We find out if we're having a boy or a girl in uh, two weeks-ish. 11 days. 
11 yeah. days. 11 days. But we're not going to tell you. Nope. It's going to be a secret. I don't know how long that secret's going to last. Andrew's already like, so we should each get to tell one person. <laughs> like, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Well, today we have a guest, which has been, we've been really lazy about getting guests lately. We're finally like, people are really bored of just hearing us. So we should probably bring somebody more interesting. So our friend Jen is here. Say hi, Jen. Hey. Um, Jen is queer. Jen is not a parent, but Jen also has lots and lots of kids in her life. So. And I know Jen from going to school together. Because that's where all of your friends come from, school. Yeah. You don't know how to make friends outside of that setting. <laughs> no, actually, friends have to be friends with you. You don't make the friends. They make friends with you. <laughs> that's that's kind of true. Yeah. She's very passive in that whole endeavor. You have to be pursued. You're hard to get. Yeah. <laughs> you play hard to get. Well, do you have any questions for Jen off the top? I do. I do. My first question, and I pretty much ask all people that I meet this lately, do you want kids? Oh. I almost, like, want to ask you if you think I want kids. <laughs> Is I that, actually, like, really a hard question to ask me? Um, I considered it for a while, and I was like, I really don't know what Jen's going to say. I could, I could totally understand you saying yes or no. Okay. Here's the thing about me wanting kids is I feel like I wish I didn't want kids. <laughs> like sometimes I'm like, oh, life would be so simple if you didn't want kids because mm-hmm. then you could just do whatever the fuck you want with your money, mm-hmm. be responsible for yourself and that would be your only concern, but mm-hmm. plan way less. And so I've spent time being like, how do I make myself not want kids? <laughs> no, I totally agree with you. I yeah. like envy people that don't want kids and have no problem and don't have that baby fever because I'm like that is the best way to go because I fully understand not adding to popu- overpopulation not mm-hmm. giving like the world more people that are going to like put on carbon footprints and and just stuff like that like I totally get and that and also there's something selfish about wanting kids there oh just is. it's totally a selfish like it's the whole experience selfish. but I think it's also just like part of like human nature that like generativity that you want to like it's our biological drive to propagate our species damn it so and now listen to that on half speed <laughs> damn it's it it's our genetic predisposition <laughs> it's gonna be Jen was listening to our podcast at half speed and <laughs> played it for us and it was really really funny I was laying in my bed last night <laughs> frantic about not knowing what was going on in their lives listening to it and then listened to it in half speed and cried myself to sleep because it was so funny so if you're looking for a few laughs <laughs> yes but yeah if there was like a button you could push to be like don't want children i think just like turn that biological yeah. clock off because you're like putting this person on the <clears throat> earth who you are unless you like fuck it up probably like the most important person or one of the most important people and then you are going to die they are going to have to experience that <laughs> what this is so you to think that way <laughs> Why would you bring a, wor- a person into this world when you're just going to leave them? <laughs> yeah. You know, some parents don't ever leave. It's not that simple for some, <laughs> yes. But it's kind of true. I, I That was like the motive. I spent time being like, how do I will this away? And like, maybe if I just tell everyone I don't want kids, it'll come true. Or I don't know. So you want kids. But I want kids. Can't. I want them so bad. I love the smell of babies. Yeah. And you have a lot of babies around. Yes. So. That must be really hard because you really can't ignore it when they're right in your face. No. Little manipulative bastards. No, and then you get like a whiff of those pheromones Mm. and then you're toast. It's true. You're just toast. I know men feel this, but I don't feel like it's the same for them. Like I don't feel like they go through the same like 
I need it. Maybe like, that's thing. just why they have such a high sex drive. So ours manifests in a way of like, I want babies. Theirs is like, I want to fuck. And that's their thing. <laughs> that's the extent sorry, of it. Re- <laughs> sorry we're to, to reduce an entire gender to one sentence. No, but maybe that's them, their drive. Their drive is just to fuck. Ours is like, I need a baby inside my womb. And Well, if you're looking from like a bio, bio kind of background, then yeah. That is yeah. the sort of, that's the Thank science. Thank you. Ding, ding. One for Angie. The book, The Female Brain, is actually really interesting around that, yeah. um, where they kind of go through the stages of, like, the mama brain and, like, physiologically what changes mm. in that way, which is interesting. I know. Everyone talks about hormones, but, like, if you actually think about it, it's pretty crazy that you have, it's like this dormant, like, beast inside of you that, like, once it's activated, it completely changes the way you think, the way you um perceive the world the way you feel the way you like process emotions it's kind of crazy but maybe it is different for guys and that's why they're able to donate sperm because i don't know Uh, if i would be able to donate an egg not every guy can do that though i think people think it should be no big deal but based on i mean listen back so many of the people we talked to it was like a big deal for them and they really had a hard time kind of conceptualizing what that would look like in their life and what that would mean for them and what their relationship to the kid would feel like and how can I know if I'm going to be okay with this and so I think there's like a social conception that it should be no big deal for guys but most of the men that we know and maybe we just know really like thoughtful sensitive men which I think is probably true but most of them wouldn't be comfortable with it okay but also their association with their sperm is like positive (laughs) right like where like our periods are like painful every month like you're very aware of this like negative big deal that it could be whereas like men are just like jerking off and oh there's my sperm yeah it's going down the drain (laughs) like but pants i don't know i think you you're made to think about it almost immediately just because of like the inconvenience of periods Hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i I mean women definitely have a different relationship to their reproductive systems than men do yeah, I like honestly this past period. I was like, why does my body need to practice so much? Mm-hmm. It's fucking brutal. Like as you get older, especially, it gets more painful. At least for me, it's gotten more painful. And I think I have a different relationship to my period than a lot of women because I don't have to use birth control. So it's just like this is just how it is. There's nothing interfering with it, and it hurts. It's really uncomfortable and a really like it's not awesome. Well, and it feels like a punishment for not getting pregnant, mm-hmm. which is maybe a motivator to get pregnant, right? I'm so happy that I don't have my period. Oh, my God. It's the best. Yeah, but you're getting, like, weird period cramps anyways, even without your period. They're not as bad. No. They're nowhere as bad. No. Yeah. You know the place where they send men to jerk off to donate sperm called a masturbatorium? <laughs> That's not even a joke. That's true fact. Masturbatorium. (laughs) (laughs) Half speed. Yeah, and I read, I just finished reading this book called Get Me Out that's like all a history of childbirth. And uh, the end of it is about like sperm donation and stuff. And they mention that. And then also they talk about um, specifically California Cryobank. They go and have this big interview with the owner, CEO guy. And he said that they're their process for getting men is like really meticulous and that they have a whole bunch of women who do all the interviews and if they think that they wouldn't want to have their child they take that into like account and if they act sketchy at all they're like no you're out what does that mean like what what are your motives for 
like what is the concern, I guess, that somebody's trying to donate because they have like a weird fetish for someone having their baby that they don't no, know? just if they're like lying, they might be dishonest about their family history or their history mm. or whatever. Well, that's the thing with, I mean, we've talked about this, about the donation thing, is that it's all self-report. So yeah. you're just trusting that this person's like an honest person. I don't know, but that would be a weird committee to sit on. <laughs> yeah. Like, I I feel like you hold a lot of power in other people's future children. It's pretty sexist, too. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. How, I wouldn't have any suggestions as to how to set it up more ethically. No. <laughs> it just does feel weird. The yeah. way, like, the way it's described, it sounds just like, ugh. Like, that's what they do? Why not yeah. just give them a polygraph? Because that's so reliable. The first, like, <laughs> sperm, well, I guess artificial insemination was done by this doctor and he chose one of his like undergrad students or whatever he was like you are the most handsome and you i know you get good grades so come here this woman's like not able to get pregnant and he had the guy masturbate into a cup and then he picked it up with his quill and put it in her vagina and then nobody's really sure about whether or not they ended up telling this woman's husband if they if he did that or not but that was sort of like the first documented artificial insemination Hmm. done with a quill everybody Sounds really safe and clean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to um, rehash our last, or it was a two episodes ago when we got in an argument about vaccination. I'm sure you all remember it fondly. Um, <laughs> I sure do. Yeah, we talked about this with um, some listeners, some educated listeners, and got some pretty good feedback, which made us feel better about the whole vaccines, travel, safety thing. And essentially, most of the things that you're getting vaccinated for are not airborne. They're droplet. So you would basically have to make physical contact with someone's bodily fluids. So, like, someone would have to sneeze on you or cough in your face or, like, put their spit in your mouth somehow. So without having that vaccination, as long as you can kind of keep people off of your baby and away from bodily fluids... (laughs) It's relatively safe. And then the other thing that we talked about, too, was, like, the biggest concern really at that age is um, getting a cold, (laughs) which a vaccine is not going to protect you from. Yeah, because babies are obligate nose breathers. So once they get congested, it can be quite devastating for them. And they often need to go to the hospital in order to get the right amount of oxygen and to get decongested and stuff. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if that actually solved our debate. But it was good information. It definitely mellowed it. (laughs) Jackie just wanted the information. I want more information. I wanted more information. I got it. I feel a little bit better because of the information that we have. You do as well. And we're not freaking out about it anymore. So I don't think we're ever freaking out about it. We weren't. I wasn't freaking out. You always... (laughs) Oh, my God. You're... You... the The way that you perceive me, you must think that... I'm constantly in a straight jacket, like, woo, like losing my mind because apparently I'm freaking out about everything. No. I was being I, just as no passionate c- as you voicing my opinion on something. No comment. <laughs> Stop freaking out, Jackie. I have to say, though, woo! Angie has like an elevated intensity that I haven't seen before. Like, she's a passionate person, mm-hmm. but like the intensity around the passion is a little bit higher. In all subjects or she's, specifically about vaccines? I think maybe edgier. just like like when we were, even just your excitement about not having to pay for your iced tea last night was like elevated. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was exciting though. We're on a budget. <laughs> <laughs> and she's really terrible at like 
she's it's not like her thing to like find ways to save money so she finds like one thing she's like yeah look at this i didn't have to buy iced tea i saved two dollars it was a big deal i think that the hardest part of pregnancy for me right now is managing my expectations because every day i wake up expecting to like be feeling the baby moving like a whole bunch and like kicking me and and for my belly to be like perceivably bigger fyi she's 17 weeks 18 tomorrow which means you're still 17 weeks yeah (laughs) i'm just saying we're at the end of 17 weeks yeah but your expectations are like that of somebody that's like 30 weeks I remember my sister being like that, though. She would never felt pregnant enough. And then when she did, she was like, get this thing out of me. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, there was like never this like, oh, look, I'm enjoying exactly where it's at. It's like I'm not big enough or the baby's yeah. not moving enough or. Yeah, totally. And well, I was where... talking to my friend and she was saying that she doesn't understand the whole enjoy your pregnancy thing <laughs> because she never did. And she just doesn't get where that even came from. Like, mm-hmm. how do you enjoy something that's stressful uncomfortable but it's only stressful to some people it doesn't have to be stressful i think some of the stress comes from not knowing what to expect and then making up expectations like where are your expectations coming from stuff i read on the internet Mm. (laughs) right so like and other people telling me things like it's also that like the way media portrays pregnancy is so sanitized and like simplified that like every pregnant woman basically feels the same way and it's totally not true and there's so much variability and there's so many things that could go wrong or that feel like they're an indication of something going wrong but people don't talk about it enough so you don't realize that like oh round ligament pain is a thing and that's not actually dangerous it's just something you have to be aware of and it does hurt sometimes you get sharp stabbing pains in your muscles or like you know sometimes spotting happens and that sounds really terrifying and stressful but some people bleed through their whole pregnancies I think a lot of the like problems with the expectations is a lack of like honest conversation about what it's really like but how do you feel about the titty fairy showing up <laughs> the what what <laughs> the titty fairy what's that no knockers getting oh, bigger oh. oh i was like is this a new thing that kids are like yeah. is this like the tooth fairy I was like, no is this no like a baby shower thing i just had several <laughs> friends who've been like i can't wait for the titty fairy oh. and then they wake up one day and they're like my boobs are huge Oh, yeah. And she keeps saying they feel so heavy. They are. Except one of them is still smaller than the other one. Yeah. They look yeah. great, though. Oh, thanks. I'm looking for, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, but I'm not looking forward to the result of that, which is like saggy boobs and giant nipples. Sock boobs. Yeah. Sock boobs and then nipples like fingers. That doesn't happen to everybody. No. Okay. And there's no shame. Those are your battle wounds. <laughs> yeah. It's not a battle. It's part of, it's a beautiful journey, Jen. We'll have this conversation after the fact. <laughs> you can tell me whether it was a battle or journey. I don't know a lot of women that had like zero problems with breastfeeding. So it's a bit of a battle. On that note, apparently there's been some studies where you don't actually have to, and our doula was saying this, do cervical checks. So mm-hmm. usually what they do is they'll go in like your midwife or your OB and like stick their fingers up there and check how dilated you are Mm -hmm. like every hour every couple hours Mm -hmm. apparently like that's not necessary whatsoever because it doesn't actually tell you anything yeah because a lot of the time they'll be like oh you're only three centimeters and then like maybe 20 minutes from there you're going to be at nine (laughs) you know so and it can be really discouraging to the mother being told like oh you're only three centimeters and they've been laboring for 20 hours only exactly it's but it's like that it's another i've been doing this for nine fucking months (laughs) only yeah Yeah. (laughs) But it's like another thing of that expectation 
situation. But also the other part of that is that you're introducing more opportunity for infection every time you stick something in there. Good point. So a lot of women choose not to have cervical checks. And I think one of the coolest parts about having a doula that's so educated and like passionate about what she does is that she was telling us, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, that if, especially if you're in a hospital, but anything to do with pregnancy, you have to give your consent. And a lot of the times the doctors don't ask for mm. it. They just tell you what you have to do or what is going to be done to you. And that's not how you should be treated. So it's really nice to have that kind of an advocate on your side. It's So even just for that, I would highly recommend having a doula because I found it really helpful. And also, I mean, she's like a dual role because she's a friend. She's a good friend and she's had two babies now and is like really passionate about that whole world yeah but then also having like a professional position it's just been really really helpful to us birth advocate yeah all the way yeah totally and she's like super non-judgmental which is amazing but she's also really educated about it which i find Mm -hmm. obviously i appreciate that i still haven't decided though if i want to go for cervical checks or not yeah because i'm the kind of person that like when i'm running I need to know when that next kilometer is. Otherwise, I'll lose my shit and be like, I am just running forever pointlessly. Mm-hmm. The thing about running, though, is that you can stop. <laughs> <laughs> the thing yeah. about labor is it's going to be you what You don't have any control yeah. over yeah. it. <laughs> but that's the thing. I think that's the thing, though, is w- what what she was saying about it is that if you're – if you have an expectation like most people would, like, okay, I've been doing this for 10 hours. I should be further along than one more centimeter than I was – 10 hours ago and if you're not that could be really discouraging but that doesn't it's not indicative of like how far you come or how far you have to go it's just basically an arbitrary number because the centimeters of dilation they change when they are going to change you know what I mean yeah yeah so I don't think it's necessarily going to be a good thing for you maybe I'll get it maybe I'll have her do it like a couple times maybe just to like stick it in you know get some (laughs) I feel oh like that'll God. be the, the first thing on your mind. Yeah. yeah. Just stick it in. Sexual <laughs> gratification in the middle of labor. Uh, Although we did watch, we watched um, Ida Mae Gaskin's documentary about the farm. Her, I don't know if you're aware, but she's like this um, pioneer in the the world of midwifery. And she's ca- quite radical in her beliefs. Um, she's sort of anti-establishment when it comes to birth. And she had basically this commune, mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. of all these women and these families that came to live on this farm. And they decided they're going to be self-sufficient. So she learned how to be a midwife and then started, like, teaching other women. Mm-hmm. And it's it's cool because it was, like, happening. I mean, that was, like, part of the, like, free love movement in, like, the 60s. And so everybody was, you know, getting into a van and riding around the country doing weird shit like that. <laughs> but for her, it it was, like... Very revolutionary, I guess, because that was when people were still, you know, being put out to give birth and, you know, they'd be put in the hospital and they'd be given their baby like a day after it was born. And a lot of women felt really detached and it caused super huge issues, I think, in parenting and mental health issues and whatever. But um, so it was very radical at the time that it came out. But in the, in the documentary, there's lots of tapings of births, obviously, because that's a big part of it. And there's this one woman in it who was like, yeah, what really, <laughs> really worked for me was when we were having a rush. That's what they call it. Not a not a contraction, a rush. 
because it's supposed to be a positive thing, um, which it is, I guess. What really worked for me when we were having a rush was if I would just make out with my husband. So it's just this like <laughs> super like hippie <laughs> couple just like making just out with beards these, like, everywhere and, and yeah. giant bushes. Oh, God, the bushes. I mean, whatever. Do whatever you want with your bush. But this woman, it was so weird watching. I mean, it. I am not judging it. It just is like a weird thing to see. Like this woman in labor, just like, honey, come here. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's like two other women looking at her vagina. It's, yeah, yeah. It's pretty. That it's, is a very odd image. It's a cool documentary, though. So go watch the film because there's no there's no mystery around it left. Go watch it if you want to see giant 70s bush. Yeah. With babies coming out of it. Beards like and bushes. Yeah. Why didn't I call it that? A tiny little troll emerging from a forest. <laughs> oh my god and they showed a breech birth which was crazy oh that was oh. really impressive because it was like that was like a big deal because nobody thought you could ever actually just have a breech birth naturally at that point and it was pretty it was pretty spectacular it like it was obviously like painful it was painful for the baby it looked like, like it, painful for everybody but it's like there's this one point when the baby's just not coming out anymore and they just get the mom. To, it was like so simple. They just have her turn around onto all fours and just that like was the shoulder dystocia. Oh, that was oh okay right. Sorry. So shoulder dystocia is when like the shoulder gets stuck, and that can lead to lots of problems, obviously for various reasons. But for that one, they just literally had the mom turn over and go on all fours, and they managed to get the baby out. It just like opened everything up, and the baby came out. It was amazing. But. She, I think a part of what they were saying about that is that like a bunch of most doctors, most OBs don't even know how to do that. Mm. The minute there's like a something like that, they're just like, oh, I don't know. But you can't. We were talking about this, and we we're like, I don't even know what an OB would do about that because you can't cut somebody open there. If the baby's already in the birth canal, it's already like on its way out, and its shoulder's stuck in the in the like vaginal opening. Well, what what yeah, is a what doctor going to do? Shoulder dystocia is that the baby's head comes out and its shoulder gets stuck. And so it's not able to breathe, right? but it's not all the way out and it's not, you can't put it back in. So it's stuck in this place. And there's like a few things that there's like four different methods that doctors and midwives can use to get it out. But sometimes there's just nothing and the baby just dies. Well, and part of the argument against midwifery or against specifically against home birth is like, what if you have shoulder dystocia? But when we were looking into it, we're like, there's nothing a doctor can do that a midwife can't. So it doesn't matter where. So it'll be what it'll be. If that happens, at that point. it's ja- it's dangerous and it's risky, but there's yeah. nothing a doctor is going to be able to do that a midwife can't. So it doesn't matter where you are, which I found really interesting. Hmm. It still scares me. Yeah, that would be yeah. really It scary. normally happens with like bigger babies. So as soon as I hit like 30 weeks, I'm just going to start like jumping on trampolines. <laughs> well, 30 know. weeks. What? 37 weeks. 37 weeks. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, no, you're not. Okay, <laughs> Get this thing out of me. 35 no. weeks. No, 37 weeks is when you want the baby to come 36. out. 37. Okay. <laughs> I just want my vagina to be like one piece and not to have shoulder dystocia. That's my birth plan. But there's not <laughs> even like, there's not even like risk factors for that aside from like a big yeah, baby. Yeah, big which, baby. But they can't. That baby was 10 and a half pounds. But they can't actually predict baby's size. We talked about this last time, didn't we? You can't predict a baby's size from the way they're measuring. You just can't. There's no indication of how big the baby's going to be until it's out. So you can't predict shoulder dystocia. So it's you sh- this is one of the things where I'm like, don't worry about that. Because we have no literally zero yeah. control over it. And you can't know if it's going to happen until it's happening. So worrying about it isn't actually giving you any advantage. Except for being a worrier like you are. Yes. 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 
I just, you know, I just became like very aware of is how much vocal fry I'm using because I was listening to a this, this American Life when they were talking about how much people complain about women and their vocal fry on the radio. And then it became this whole thing how like pretty much every decade or, or whatever generation, there's something that people are complaining about in women's voices. And it previously was like, oh, they use the word like too much. And before that, it was something about... um being too nasal on the radio so there's always like something and then um they were talking about it and they were like oh men use it too but nobody ever seems to complain about it ever mm. so I, I don't know so now i'm like oh my god that's on your mind totally now you're worrying about things you can't fry. change <laughs> no settle down but that's the thing too is that it's like something that people are complaining about women's voices that nobody you don't choose how you talk jackie stop freaking out just stop <laughs> freaking out I'm not freaking out I want to vent about my mom. Should we vent about my mom? Go. Unleash the hounds. <laughs> <laughs> Where to begin? Um, Where were you born? Let's see. <laughs> so lately, she's been really unhelpful in the whole, hey, your daughter's pregnant. Maybe you should not be awful to her or stress her out unnecessarily. Yeah. So we know we've we've discussed that my mom has borderline personality disorder, which I've been reading about more and nothing's helpful. Because <laughs> borderline is just one of those fucking things that, like, you can't do anything about. No. You the, only can self-preserve. No, the books are basically like, yeah, they're really horrible, but don't give up on them. Let them keep abusing you. And you're like, um, what? Yeah, it's kind of like stick by them until they're ready to get help. But they may never get help, and you can't force them to get help. And when all they get help, do, nothing might work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All you can do is control yourself. And it's like, okay... It's like, it's literally like, hey, look, you have a pet that attacks you constantly, but don't give up on that pet because that pet deserves love, even if it can't be nice or not attack you. But keep loving it, even though it will never give you love back. Cactus. It's like hugging a cactus. And it's funny because we, um, and that's da- telling you to hug it. Yes. Or else it'll jump off a bridge. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a suicidal cactus. <laughs> it's not nice. <laughs> so my mom sent me this email. After I had a perfectly normal conversation with her the night before, where I said, I will take you to chapters because she really wanted to go to chapters to get a new book. I'll take you to chapters on Sunday. I'll come get you in the morning around 1030 and then we'll go there. Whatever. Okay, that's fine. Blah, blah, blah. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Blah, blah. Bye. And then she sends me this. Can you take me to chapters? I will see. Will I see you over the weekend? I feel residual depression and I wish I could die. My future is bleak. Even your pregnancy will not include me as you've told me. I thought a good book will help my loneliness. I have some blue wool that has promise. (laughs) (laughs) Is that it? Just a little suicidal ideation thrown in there with the regular. That's it. Not even like love mom or anything. Just (laughs) the blue wool in the chapter self-help book. (laughs) (laughs) This is what we're reduced to. Like that. It's. And but then then there's like completely zero recognition when Anne just saying to her mom that's actually really upsetting email to send me what do you mean yeah I called her and I was like don't send me that shit like why what's the point of sending that email are you suicidal then I'm gonna call the police otherwise like I'm sorry I can't take on the fact that you want to die I just can't do it anymore Mm -hmm. that makes me sound like such a bitch but it's been my entire life literally her entire life like as long as she could remember her mom's been suicidal tried to kill herself talked about killing herself and you would just kind of think that when you're pregnant your mother would try and be a bit more nurturing and empathetic and try and make you feel better but she seems to be making it worse and this thing about my pregnancy not including her is just crazy because i've been including her in everything 
you know, I'm I've it's sent because- her pictures of things we've bought. I've sent her all the ultrasound stuff. I always update her. I even added her to like a mailing list where she gets emails that's like 16 weeks pregnant. This is what the baby looks like. And I talk to her about it all the time. The only thing she's not going to be included in is the birth, which she was fine with and then suddenly like a by or a borderline person changed her mind and is pissed about. But yeah. the the thing about it that's like super hard is you're a very logical person. Like you don't, that's how your brain functions. And then so you try and find logic in this completely irrational situation. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think I've ever known your mom to be logical about anything (laughs) ever. Not when it comes to emotions. But that's the the thing I think which is like such a, it's so fascinating about your mom is that she actually does have a very scientific and logical mind, but she can't apply it to anything personal. Yeah, interpersonal. Yeah. Just gone. Because the minute an emotion is entered into the, the equation, it just like devolves into either they're they're 100 percent amazing and i love them or they're 100 percent horrible and i hate them yeah and then because i hate them i want to die yeah it's fucking i just i'm i'm at this place where i feel like a lot of motivation to try and do something to make it better not change her obviously but like change the way we interact or change the way that i respond and i'm like or the way you interpret it or the way you like interact with it but i i I have seen you make much firmer boundaries with her over the last year. And it really did start. It started, I think, probably in lots of small ways since since we've met it's it's gotten gradually better because I keep pushing like this isn't okay. (laughs) You know, like So it is your fault. My mom's right. She is right. (laughs) Tell her that. Um but since we got married, it's been even better. Since we got even started thinking about getting pregnant, you got sort of more stringent with it and since you've been pregnant you've just been like fuck this I'm not dealing with it which I really it's nice to see because I've been wanting I mean we've been we've been together for almost 10 years so it's been really fucking hard to watch sometimes where you're just like this woman is like pulling you into the depths every time she's down there which is all the time mm-hmm. and I my biggest fear is just how do we keep our kids from seeing that and having to deal with it okay but also can we look at how amazing angie is as a person who that was her only experience as a parent like no but you are like if you think (laughs) about like protecting your kid and then you have grown up and you have like had this amazing relationship and you're working on having children like you you have this life now in spite of so it's like even if your mom has contact with your children you didn't even have the support of like what you and Jackie will be for your child. Mm. And look at how much you, and I know this is like one of those stupid things of like, look at how much you learned through that process, but you have a lot of knowledge and wisdom because of how fucked up your mom is. And so like, is it like about making them never see it? Or is it like about being the parents that are like, yeah, grandma. Hey, like, <laughs> and, yeah. and also like, this is a thing. People are like this in the world. You don't have to be like that, but you should be. Able and this to is how to have boundaries with people yeah. like that in this world. Yeah. Because holy shit, what a what a learning curve that is when you've never encountered someone mm-hmm. like like me. Yeah, encountering Angie's mom and was like, whoa, because I was like, just let's get our hands dirty. Let's get right in there. I oh can like gosh. help her and make her life better. And as the more involved I get, the more I support her, the better it'll be. And it was just like. Like jumping into like a pit of lava. <laughs> well, like, and then the floor, oh, the floor falls no out. Way to make this better. Yeah, you're just kind of le- left flailing. Yeah, being like, 
Oh, shit. Okay, all these skills I have about dealing with humans doesn't apply here. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I would get frustrated and Ange would just be like, I don't know why you're so invested in this. I don't even care. And I'd be like, because she's your mom. Like, it's supposed to matter. We're supposed to try and help her make her life better. That's the whole point of being in her life, right? And Andrew's just like, no, that's not what we're here for. And I was like really hard for me to learn that because there were lots of times that I was way more upset about stuff than you were and you were like what's wrong with you and I was like I'm a regular human (laughs) I haven't been practicing how to shut off my emotional responses to a person my whole life like you have so yeah yeah I think that's a good point definitely teaching kids boundaries and teaching them like some people are crazy and you don't have to put up with it but here's how to like show compassion to those people within limits that it's okay well and like your child is not their life is not going to be ruined because your mom one day is like i don't like you because you're fat (laughs) Mm -hmm. which she could do like Mm -hmm. you are not my grandchild anymore or whatever it may be Mm -hmm. their life will not be like i feel fairly confident that that is not going to well be the end of your child never ever leaving our kids alone with her no so if she ever said something like that there would be immediate response to that yeah like you can't say that to my child. Hey, child of mine, don't listen to her. She's crazy. That's not okay. Nobody should say that to you. Whatever. Especially with, like, body issues are huge for your mom. And I really am, like, super conscious of not... Like, I even... Even with my nieces and nephew, I try I not to talk about... it's huge for both of our families. Yeah. Yeah, for very different reasons, I yeah. think. But I... Like, I'm really, really hyper-conscious now of, like, how to talk about my body or even anybody's body in front of kids because... That all is teaching them something that like mm-hmm. physical appearance is more important than everything. And it's, yeah, I just like worry that that's going to come through your mom. Yeah, not starting it once the kid's a teenager. Like, I think you need to start talking about your body positively or something when they're little, 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 like one, two, three, because they're still hearing that and they're still interpreting it. And not in the like, oh, you're so pretty kind of yeah. way, but like. Or even just like, oh my God, do I look fat? Saying that in front of a kid is like super damaging. Yeah. And I, like, we've talked about this, too, where I'm, like, my mom's never really said anything directly to me about bodies, but she always had a problem with hers. Mm -hmm. And I was always super aware of that. So when I started having insecurities about my body, I was just taking after what I'd learned and what I'd seen. Mm -hmm. So if that's not what you're learning or seeing, then hopefully that's not the way. But it's, like, I don't know. Can you get away from that with, like the thigh gaps of the world and like the social media and like all of that how do you keep your kid from being i don't know traumatized by like body (laughs) issues well again i think it's like you are the role models for that like you are the example of something different in their life Mm -hmm. you know you're already gay so they're they're already gonna be aware (laughs) of the different things yeah Mm -hmm. yeah something that i watched this video by queer mama and i posted it on her facebook actually and she said something that was really interesting where she said that her daughter is going to have two really different role models for how it is to be feminine mm. in her, like, mom, and then also in her, I think they call her Mona? Moni? Moni. Um, yeah, and so that's an interesting thing, too, that I was thinking about. I was like, yeah, that's actually really cool because you're not just like, this is mom and this is what moms do and this is what women are. Mm-hmm. You can be like, oh, like, we're very different. Women can be all of these things. Mm-hmm. They're not just one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool because... Um, I think we both embody a lot of like aspects of like you know conventional femininity but also a lot of things that are not sort of what you'd think of as a woman Mm -hmm. or maybe not what you would think of as a woman as our listeners but like 
you know, what society thinks a woman should be or how they should act or whatever. But we've already kind of come into contact with some, like, weird language stuff. Like, who was it? I was somebody... Was that dinner with my family, I think? And somebody said, oh, like, what is, does the does the dad have a big nose or something like that? It was like some sort of like innocuous comment like that. And we were like, the donor. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, oh. And it's like, yeah, you can't talk about that as like the dad in front of our kid because that's not their parent. A dad yeah. is not, a dad is a person that's there and is engaged and is actually raising a child. Yeah. Not somebody that just jizzed into like a cup and went into a masturbatorium. Oh, thank you, miss. <laughs> you know, so it's like even stuff like that where you're, you don't want to be that person that's like, it's not that, like it doesn't offend me. It's just the not not the right word. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't want people to feel like they have to walk on eggshells around us because they don't want to like offend us. But it's just also that it's good to get in the habit now of using the r- correct terminology so that when we have our kid, it's not extra hard. Like I don't want to have to be policing people's language around us, but you kind of still do have to. In order well, to, like, and your your kid like is the, going to need to be able to like correct people based mm-hmm. on their own life, mm-hmm. and like again, I think this goes back to even your mom, where it's like they're going to need the confidence to do that. They're going to need the information to do that. They're going to mm-hmm. need the role models of correcting people or standing up to people, mm-hmm. like right off the bat, because that's going to be something that they're just naturally going to encounter. Yeah. I think all kids encounter it, but like yeah. in really overt ways. Yeah. Yeah. Wish all kids had those skills, actually. It's kind of, it's like one of those, it's another aspect of like, you know how when you talk about like people who are queer or just like non-heteronormative have to consider their sexuality in a different way than somebody who's just assuming that they're hetero and is. Mm-hmm. There's no questioning involved in that. And for somebody that's queer, there's a bunch of questioning involved just from, just in order to figure out who, yeah, in that who you are, what you like, how you like it, whatever. So in general, queer people are more in touch with their sexual appetites and their sexual fantasies and their sexual just self. Mm-hmm. So I think a kid who's c- growing up in an environment where there already is that kind of heightened level of knowing who you are and making a concerted effort to like ask yourself what matters to you and what you want and how you want to be will hopefully foster a child that's more confident and more able to, like, say, this is who I am and this is why I am. Well, and even emotional intelligence for that matter, right? Yeah. You're going to have a brilliant child because you're two women and you have a really fucked up mom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So then after that, my mom sends my brother an email, Mm. like, a few, like, three or four days later and basically said... I should have listened to your grandparents and your dad and your grandparents on your other side when they were telling me to abort you. Mm. Because she because he was telling her that she like doesn't spend her money properly which she doesn't. And and he has a right to say that because she's constantly asking him for money. And he gives it to her. Yeah. I just had this moment where I realized how weird that must be for most of these listeners to hear uh, because you like you work in like your job and we are both youth workers and hear crazy shit. Yeah. But someone hearing that a parent is like, I wish I had had hadn't had you. Yeah. It's like maybe a bit of an extreme statement. Well, totally. Like it, it, yeah. it is it super is. fucked up. But we're all sitting here being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Angie's mom. La, <laughs> la, la. That's normal in our world. And that's the fucked up thing, too, is that I can talk about that shit. My mom's said that to me before. Yeah, and mm-hmm. she said, like, you know, lots of fucked up shit Which is crazy, because how could somebody wish you weren't born? You're the best. Yeah. Even when you're crazy, But the thing the is, best. that doesn't, I've never, I've never internalized that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like, what prevented you from it? Because, okay, we had this conversation the other day. You were like, I, I, what was it that made you remember it? 
It's just one of those sense memories where you like yeah. smell something or you I like happen to like look at something. You're like, whoa, you had this like intense memory from your child. Well, you should just tell it because it's your, your memory. <laughs> I had this memory from when I was a kid and I was thinking about it. I was like, that's really weird because that memory affects me more than a lot of the like crazy shit that my mom's done. And it doesn't When she even says crazy shit, she means abusive. Yeah. Shit. Like she's hit me and said terrible things to me mm-hmm. and, you know, threatened me and just whatever. So I had this memory of I was watching something sad on TV or something made me sad. And I was at home. I must have been like eight, maybe nine, seven, eight, nine. And my mom came home from work or wherever she was. And I ran up to her and I was like, mom, I need a hug. And she looked at me up and down. She goes, why? And I was so crushed and That's like so chilling. sad. Like you, it's like the most cold. And I can picture your mother's face when yeah. she says this. Yeah. It's this like this like stiff stance of like looking you up and down like a mean girl would look you up and down like a like pursed lips like like emily gilmore totally and then (laughs) just saying to your fucking child who is needing some emotional comfort and just saying why just questioning their need for any type of connection or affection or comfort safety it's so like she's so crazy (laughs) she's just i know crazy sort of an inflammatory word but she really is like she's really disconnected from her own emotions which is part of borderline you can like completely shut off any emotional connection that you have yeah and it's just like yeah i was just thinking how interesting that was i think because i was thinking about how like affection i would be i think i was imagining having a kid and being like oh and then the kid will come home from school and i'll be like i love you and scoop it up and like whatever and then i was thinking about like my life and then had that memory like flash and I was like oh right that happened I, I totally have this fear around my own children where I will accidentally do something super fucked up and not know it's fucked up <laughs> where I'm like like would not that I would do that I feel like I've gone through enough therapy and education but like <laughs> that would just come out of your mouth and you wouldn't like even be aware because mm-hmm. you're like oh yeah that happened mm. you know yeah where you're like oh why because you want to know what they're sad about but then they're like oh I can't ever ask for affection ever again. See, that's where a, like, loving, affectionate mom would hug them and say, what's the matter, honey? Yeah. (laughs) I'm not saying that my mom was, like, never affectionate. She was. But that, just, like, why would you do that? If any kid who wasn't, like, you know, if it was appropriate came up to me and was like, I need a hug, I'd be like, okay. No, it makes sense. And kids are pretty, like, they are naturally in tune with their emotional needs. So they, like, yeah. ask for that stuff. Or, like, they know even if they don't have the language to ask or for it. Or they'll do something, bo- like, put their head on your yeah. shoulder and, like, make yeah, some yeah. sort of indication and then you have to... But what did that teach you as a child, do you think? Like, just even even if she was affectionate in other times, what she was telling you is your emotional needs don't matter. Question everything. <laughs> yeah, it made me a huge skeptic. No, but it's seriously, like, if if you're that young and you're just saying something, like, so basic, so, like... I don't know, unadulterated, just like, I need a hug. And to have your parent, and at that time, like, your only parent, really, that's in your life, that's, like, a constant, just shut you down, that's going to cause, like, a huge shift in the way a kid is going to connect to their emotions. But Angie doesn't accept affection from people unless she's super close with them and she feels super safe with them. Like, you would never just walk up to your coworker and be like, can I have a hug? (laughs) Like, I don't know. Yeah. You Like, it takes a lot for you to accept someone's, like, genuine you, empathy and compassion. But that's probably why you are kind of, like, standoffish. And, like, Andrew's, like, a really shy kid. So some of that still kind of comes through when you're an adult, I think. But I think that's why people have to come to you for you to become friends with them. Because you don't have that, like, like freedom 
you haven't grown up with that like emotional reassurance enough to be able to just be like, I can ask and not I get rejected. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like it's like that's pl- being played out in your adult relationships. You trying to say, hey, I want to hang out with you is the same as saying, can you hug me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's like you're too afraid to get shut down, so you can't ask. <laughs> Angie, when she has like a new friend, she really wants is the funniest thing oh, to hear because she just gets so excited yeah. and talks about it, but never does anything about it. <laughs> it's true. This person at work is so cool. Mm. I want to be their best friend. Oh, did you say hi? And uh, then we said, and then she said, and uh, uh, and we laughed uh-huh. and we laughed and we laughed. It's like you get friend crushes, and you like it's like this like Total unrequited friend. friend love that you yeah. have built up, and you don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. Now that we figured out all of your issues. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I'm just like reflecting a lot on my mom and trying to figure out what to do. You know, this is exactly what Alexis said when she was here and like uber pregnant. Mm. pregnant. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. she was talking about. And I think mm-hmm. it makes so much sense. I, I, I don't know how you could kind of be on the like precipice of becoming a parent and not be reflecting on what your parents did and how they treated you and how they talked to you and what you feel like was good and what you feel like was bad. Well, and I think it's, it's like only natural. maybe going to get worse. Because, like, when your kid is whatever yeah. age, when whatever was going on, and you're just going to look at them and be like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. this tiny, helpless person. And, like, you were, like, making food at, like, what age for yourself, you know? Like, you were fully mm-hmm. your own caretaker. Lighting cigarettes off the stove for my mom at seven, man. <laughs> um, I was, like, going to the store to get my parents' cigarettes when I was, like, eight or nine. You weren't lighting them, though. That was no, socially I wasn't though. lighting them, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> they um, generally took care of that themselves. <laughs> yeah. And I read something on, on Reddit that made me sad, too. And I was like, fuck, that's probably going to happen to us. And it makes me angry. But I'm also thinking, like, maybe she won't last that long. But Stop someone was writing. teasing. <laughs> someone was <laughs> writing about how they're in a queer relationship. And they were the first one to have a child. And their mom is like super generous and affectionate to their biological child and kind of like ignores the other one. Mm, your mom is <gasps> totally going to be like that. When I have a baby, she yeah. won't treat it like her grandchild. 100% no. sure. 100% sure. My family not going to be like that. No, not at all and it's just like They're fuck. already like they're already acting like a family and the thing would is, towards like, that's... their niece or grandchild or whatever because yeah. that's cuz they're normal. Yes. <laughs> well, let's They're uh... mostly normal. <laughs> I mean, they're like regular level and the thing you is, know. like, it doesn't make me sad for me or for you in mm. that situation. It makes me sad for the potential, like, child. Yeah. And if they want, like, they're seeing this interaction between, gonna, like, granny kids and... Kids pick up on that shit. Yeah, and then sure. they're getting left out, then they're going to internalize it. So then that could fuck up my kid. There's so many things that can fuck up our kids and that will fuck up our kids. Like, that's one thing I've always, like, told myself because I always knew that I was going to be a parent, no matter whether I would, like, pretend I didn't want to be or not. Um, is that everybody passes something on to their kids. Oh, Everyone totally. gives their kids some sort of weird hang-up or some sort of herpes. issue. Hopefully not herpes. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> and once you kind of accept that, it's like, oh, you don't have to stress out about it as much. You just have to try and mediate what that thing is. <laughs> yeah, I find a lot of hope in looking at the people in my life who I'm like, whoa, you had a fucked up life. And then I'm like, oh, you're all right. <laughs> I'd well, be your friend. Well, say where they're like, you only have to meet your kids' needs like 60% of the time to grow up like regularly normal and like Is that what they, is that yeah. where, where do, I didn't learn this at all in my degree program. Where was that? <laughs> um, it's part of the attachment parenting theory. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. You know, I think generally speaking, we're pretty like s- secure in what we think is going to be the best way to do things or what's right for us, I guess. 
And so when other people are like, you shouldn't do that because if it's something we've already thought about and already looked at, then we're like, no, we're going to do that. What's the because, though? Like, are they scared that your kid's going to end up, like, homeless and drug addicted? No, like, most of it is, like, people's own experiences and the the things that worked for them or the things that they chose to do. They'll advocate that. And it's like, okay. Like, my mom, you know, prime example, she's a nurse, so obviously very, like, medical perspective. Mm -hmm. Fine. She's had three C-sections. She's never had a natural birth. So the idea of us having a home birth is like, what are you doing? That's crazy. And we're like, no, it's not actually. And, you know, you think that you're coming from a place of expertise because you have three children, but you don't actually have any direct experience with like a regular birth. So that's what I mean. Like what, what is the, what is the fear of all of that? You know, of something it, going wrong. My, honestly, my mom has said multiple times, like, I'm not going to be happy or feel settled or comfortable until the baby's born. Yeah. Which, None of us are. Which I understand. <laughs> but then it's like, I don't want you to say that to me. That doesn't make me feel better. Yeah. I'm just doing this for the first time. So you're just stressing me out by saying that. But it's not because she's trying. She's not trying to be unhelpful. But that's that's how she feels. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's how she felt every time she was pregnant or if that's just because she's older and she knows more now. I mean, she was pretty young when she started having kids. She was 22. So, yeah, you have a different mindset, like when you're a bit older, mm-hmm. I feel like you are in yourself a little bit more and totally. your decisions are based on the person you become yeah. instead of like what, I, what, what my mom said, I what you're do. supposed to do, yeah. because we know by now that what you're supposed to do is get real with yourself and figure shit out. Well, and also like there's different, there's different, it's not, not that the way our parents raised us was necessarily wrong, but there's just different information now. We have more knowledge now. So I'm not going to do the same things that my parents did because I know that some of them aren't necessarily the best way to to go, you know? And it's like kind of an awkward thing to negotiate because it's like you don't want to say directly to your parent, I'm not doing what you did because that was fucked up. (laughs) But it's like, well, I'm not going to do that because of all these studies. You know, like I've studied child psychology. I've studied like child development so I know a lot more than you know my mom did when she was 22 and yeah she's a nurse but that doesn't mean she's got you know specialized knowledge about like raising children and of course there's like it's not that I don't acknowledge that she's got great information to give us about certain things but there's just some stuff that it's like just not going to listen to you. Mm-hmm. I also and think like the home birth movement right now is kind of a new thing like it's a, or it's a revival. Yeah. It is a revival for sure. So, yeah. There's, like, this huge study that McMaster University did where they looked at, like, I think it was 27,000 women births and compared them, hospital and home births, and the outcomes were exactly the same. It's not any more dangerous or any less dangerous. It was the same across the board. And people will always come up with, well, did you hear that one story of that one person who had, you know, a bad experience of home birth? And it's like, yeah, okay, did you hear about this person who had a terrible experience of hospital birth? Mm -hmm. You know? And you can go... back and forth forever and, and that's the problem <laughs> yeah. is that you literally could and yeah. but so it's like it's weird to feel like you have to defend your your decisions that are like educated decisions we don't do anything really in our lives without looking at it with like a critical eye to have to defend that to somebody that i like i respect my mom i think she was a great mother mm-hmm. and i don't think she did i mean i think every person can look at some at their parents and say i wish they hadn't done that because you have the ability of like hindsight. So I can look back and say, my mom talking about how much she hated her body all the time definitely gave me body issues. Mm -hmm. I don't think she was aware of that at the time. 
Nobody was talking about it either, though. Yeah. <laughs> so now we have this whole body of evidence saying, don't talk about your body in a negative way around a child because that's going to tell them that there's something wrong with them, that they should be finding what's wrong with them. So it's like a weird, I don't know, I feel like I'm in a weird position, I guess, with some of this stuff because I don't want to make my mom think that I don't respect her choices. But I also don't want to just be like, okay, I'm going to do what you did because you're telling me to because you're my mom, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And definitely we won't be doing anything your mom tells us to do. <laughs> well, I'm... There, she must have done something right. Like, there was... there was. Um, did she? I think she did right things during the critical period, and that's why I'm not super crazy fucked up. I think that that... She stuck to it during whatever, like, years one through three or something. And yeah. showed me enough affection and paid me enough attention that I was able to, like... Have hope that the rest of humanity might yeah, be better. Yeah, and then it got... <laughs> yeah. And then things started to get really bad as I got older, but I had already had that foundation. So I think that's mm-hmm. what... What do you Saved think me. it is that she did right? Putting you in a pram. <laughs> giving you steak at six four, months. $400 <laughs> that, silver cross pram. That face-to-face really helped. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I always knew that she loved me. She was, like, took interest in me and made sure that I was doing things. Like, I would say I want to take drum lessons and she would make it happen. And um, we had fun. But it just got worse and worse and worse. Like, her mental health and things just, it's she just got worse and worse and worse. Like, her mom's, like, the poster child for, like, a healthy mother is probably the most important thing. So, like, constantly making sacrifices for your kids. If you can't take care of yourself just to take care of them, you're actually doing them a distur- disservice. You need to make sure that you're yeah. okay. Well, and I think that that's what it comes down to is, like, you be your healthiest self. Like, don't have your issues. Don't be in denial of your own stuff. Mm-hmm. Address your own body issues. Like... Mm-hmm. That's, you know, who gives a shit about the social media? Like, mm-hmm. there's more to it than that. And you mm-hmm. you are showing them how to overcome adversity by doing your own mm-hmm. and being, like, the guidance of that mm-hmm. instead of avoiding av- adversity. Yeah. Like, I can't count how many conversations we ha- we've had lately where it's like, how do we make this not happen? How do we make sure that our kid isn't like this? And then... It's but like, that's what those fucking parenting books tell you. That it's all about, like... I haven't like, been reading any parenting You books. know, <laughs> don't, don't let it happen. And I think that that's an anxiety that I see in most parents mm-hmm. that I know is, like, nothing bad can happen or else I've failed. Mm-hmm. And then, like, looking at your child's resiliency isn't Mm -hmm. successful because the bad thing happened that they needed to be resilient for. We actually were just talking about this. Were we? About about my nephew. We were just talking about that in a sense he hasn't really, he doesn't let himself fail. He just gives up. Mm. So he's never, it doesn't really seem like he's ever like overcome anything because he doesn't ever try. Mm -hmm. And the minute something seems too hard for him, he just like gives up. So in, in his mind, it's like, it works for him in the sense that he doesn't have to feel bad about himself because he's never failed, mm-hmm. but he also doesn't know how to deal with things that are challenging. So that's like totally in line with that where you're like, you can't prevent your kid from failing at things or, or from being hurt or from, you know, experiencing something negative. You just have to, to help them get through it and overcome it and model how to do that yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think every conversation we've had about parenting stuff comes down to we have to model it. Yeah. So that's really like um salient right now is like you know silly stuff like oh the like negative shit that i yell at other drivers when i'm in the car like (laughs) did i say something about my body today or am i obsessing about cleaning more than i should or like stuff like that Mm -hmm. am i being as like 
you know, open-hearted as I can with this person that I'm having a conflict with? Or was there a nicer way I could have talked to Ange about that thing I just said? So just like every little detail, I feel like I'm like putting my life under a microscope. Accountability to self and others. Isn't that kind of what we're striving for in life anyway? Mm, Pretty much, yeah. Do the work. Go to fucking, everyone, go to therapy. It is so damn helpful. Best investment ever. It's so crazy because I feel like every person I've ever talked to about counseling or any kind of like therapeutic intervention always says, oh, it's so expensive. And I'm like, but can you really put a price on that? You're willing to spend, you know, hundreds maybe thousands of dollars a year on alcohol i was gonna say how much you spend on booze drowning those feelings (laughs) i'm pretty sure if you spend the money up front you don't have to drink as much because you don't have as much to drink away it's also much easier to deal with things when they're not like this huge fucking cloud that's hanging over your relationship or yourself preemptive therapy like and we did not start out that good at this but over the years we've been like okay well this has become an issue and it's something that we've gotten to like a point where we're not actually moving forward anymore let's go talk to somebody instead of getting to the point where you're like we have to break up we can't deal with this anymore and then going you're basically being like here's this pooch i screwed can you unscrew it instead of being like oh i want to screw this pooch can you help me not want to screw this pooch It's a horrible metaphor. Yeah, that, thank you it's for really that. Gross. <laughs> I'm really gross. Yeah. in there for you guys. <laughs> I didn't make up the metaphor. I was just and this is it. why we go to therapy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, and then, like, shop around, you know? Like, mm. whoever it is that works, works. And, like, yeah. if they're not challenging you or if they're letting you sit in your same old patterns and shit because you're smart and a good talker, mm-hmm. like, move on. Yeah. Why are you paying to just repeat the old, same old thing? Totally. Mm-hmm. But then if you're really fucked up, you won't notice that. You'll but, just be like, perfect, this person lets me be me. Then you end up like Angie's mom, so don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Except she'd never go to therapy. <laughs> yeah. Or find people to talk to about the fact that they're going to therapy. Like, I feel like we all do that, where we're like, my therapist says. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, like years ago, like, no one would normalize it. Yeah. Right? Because I feel like it's like such a hush-hush thing, like, oh. And I talk about the fact that Angie and I have gone to counseling. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm like, why Why would that be a shameful thing that I'm saying? Do you have rela- relationship problems? <laughs> Do we need to talk about this? Yeah, I have a relationship. Do I need Therefore, to worry that I you're going to break up? <laughs> no. But that's the thing. It's like every relationship's got issues. That's like yeah. part of having a relationship is that you're going to have conflict and you're going to have stuff that you need to work on. But the, the like m- general mindset is that like, oh, it's like embarrassing to have to go get someone else to help you but that's the but we go get someone else to help us fix our cars we can go get someone else to help (laughs) fix our backs we could go get someone else to fucking paint our nails but when it comes to our deep emotional issues i got this that i'm gonna do by myself i got it yeah no it's not it's not easy to do on your own and it just ends up exhausting yeah and you go people go in there in crisis but the thing about it is it's way better to go when you're not in crisis Mm -hmm. because you can do more you have like the ability to be (laughs) self-aware like you can't when you're in crisis that's the whole point crisis is like the moment where you can't see outside of yourself and you're panicked you're you're like maxed out on your coping yeah yeah you're treading water yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 So go take swimming lessons before you're stuck in the middle of the ocean. Oh, Jackie. Is that better? <laughs> Are you a philosopher? I, I took some philosophy says. once. <laughs> I, I took some philosophy <laughs> classes and I bought some philosophy books. So. What the hell is this? I watched, <laughs> I watched a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Your notes are crazy. Listen to this. Listen to this. <laughs> this is what Ange has written for notes. 
God is not dead. Plastic cup in microwave. Holding wrong end of cup. Bumper stickers. <laughs> Muslim dad beating daughter because she is Christian. Professor dead mom. Text message. Oh, my God. Do you want to know what that's about? Um. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. so years ago, I got this text message from my dad that just said, God is not dead. Oh. That was it. Oh, yeah. And I was like, thanks, dad. Like, that's fucking weird. Whatever. Um, and then I found out later, like, it's a movie. And I was like, okay. So I like to watch weird Christian movies, just like I like to watch the Duggars and all that kind of shit. I love watching Christian movies that are about, like, Christianity and the way what they're they're trying to mask it. Like, it's just a cool movie, but really... You mean they're indoctrinating, like, Yeah, propaganda? but really they're yeah. pushing their fucking whole agenda. And I, I love those movies. I think they're so funny because they're so out of touch with reality. And if you watch the, like the intricacies of the people you're like these aren't actual humans who know how anything works (laughs) so it's like they're little zombots the 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 acting is terrible and like i was just noticing things in the movie because i watched god is not dead where this woman sticks like a full plastic cup in the microwave and she's supposed to be this like businesswoman and she's like beep 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 oh come on come on hurry up hurry up and it's like the fucking cup would be melting and it's like shit like that that they don't notice anyway the movie was ridiculous. Your notes were about how they fucked up the movie, like... Yeah, well, I just feel like it sticker? just shows how out of... Because this woman, this, like, woman who puts the the cup in the microwave or whatever, she's supposed to be this, like, vegetarian atheist. And her bumper stickers are like, I love evolution and meat is murder. And it's like, who has those fucking... Like, meat is murder is, like, a bumper sticker. But who has a bumper sticker that says, I love also, evolution? Also, what a combination, like... You are not a real Christian if you don't eat meat. Mm. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. weird, right? Like, why also, did you like, throw who, that in there? Who's like, oh, I love evolution. Oh, I, I love it so I think, much. I think that the, like, underlying sort of thing with, oh, she's a vegetarian is like, oh, she's a lesbian. She's anti-hetero, like, establishment. She was in a relationship. With a man? And she got, can- she, with a fellow atheist, she got cancer and he dumped her. Because atheists are heartless. Oh, my God. The whole premise of this movie is wow. that this 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 professor comes up he's teaching professor philosophy Deadman? yeah <laughs> and he he's like so now everyone on your piece of paper write god is dead because we're not going to argue whether or not god exists in this class and if you don't write god is not dead you are going to fail god everyone's like dead? or if you write god is not dead you're going to fail so all the kids are like okay they write god is dead and they pass it up except for one kid who's like i can't do that i'm christian and he's like what are you doing you, but I said you're going to fail. Fine. You need to, like, fail? prove to the class with the last 20 minutes of every single class for the next six weeks why God exists. So now he's creating this platform for this kid to basically teach right. you, the watcher, and then also all these other kids in this class why God exists. And it's the same fucking tired arguments. Anyway, so then oh, all yeah. the characters in this movie, there's all these, like, individual characters that are going through their own thing. They all end up at this concert by this, like, Christian band at the end As of the movie. As they do. As they always do. <laughs> and so... The, Sing your heart out. Yeah, they're all like, Jesus is... Sing your Jesus love. Blah, 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 and we're all amazing and all this shit. And then they're like, what everyone here needs to do in the crowd, we're going to tell Jesus 37,000 times that we love him. Send someone you love a text message that says, God is not dead. So oh my god that message yes oh your dad's such a sheep oh yes. i was like watching this i was like oh my god that's why i got that fucking text message <laughs> three years ago 
from my dad that made no fucking sense and was completely out of the blue. To be fair, most of your messages from your dad don't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) That is a funny ending, and I'm really glad you watched that movie now. Yeah. Yeah, Angie's dad told her that he thinks that the reason that she's an atheist is because he left her with her mom, who's an atheist, and we were like... Yeah, he was like, I didn't have enough say in your, like, spiritual upbringing. I was like, "Mm mm-hmm. We're like, hey, how about you acknowledge the fact that you just chose to not be around? (laughs) And leave me with her. (laughs) That was your fucking choice, buddy. (laughs) You wanted me to believe in God. Don't leave me with a woman like that. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Let's start there. And he was like, you know, everything bad in the world that happens, that's all man-made, you know? It's like people are, they bring it on themselves because they have this and they have that. And I was just sitting there thinking about like, oh yeah, those kids who get fucking cancer when they're one. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's recap. So, um, still pregnant. My mom is fucking crazy, but I'm amazing. Yes. In spite of it. And we're going to be amazing parents. Let kids (laughs) fail so that they gain resistance. Don't pass on your resilience. (laughs) There we go. Don't pass on your baggage, but your kids are going to be f- kind of fucked up anyway. Go to therapy. Go to therapy, and God is not dead. <laughs> God is not dead. We're not ending with God is not dead. <laughs> Let's just be clear, just in case. We don't want anyone to get things misconstrued. Are we done? Are you done? <laughs> yeah. I think so. Also in this movie, there was this really weird thing where there was this Muslim girl... And she was secretly a Christian, of course. So she would, like, lie down in her bed and listen to um, lectures, like Christian lectures on her iPod. But then when she would leave the house, she'd have to put on her, um, like, headdress and stuff. And her dad is very, very strict. They never said she was Muslim, but it was, like, pretty obvious. She's, like, a ethnic person wearing a headdress. Like, what else? Headdress? What do you call those things? Head wrap. Head wrap. But there's, like, a proper name for them, and now I feel like an ignorant Head idiot. Job. Is it a hijab? I don't know. There's a bunch of different ones. I don't know which one. Anyway, so she's secretly a Christian, and then her dad, like, finds her iPod and beats the shit out of her. Like, punches her in the face and, like, pushes her downstairs. Like, how is that not, like, Islamophobia, like, totally trying to... Since when are Christians not racist? No, I know, but I mean, this movie, like, I know the Duggars, like, love it, but they're putting it out there, like, this is amazing, and that's, like, so offensive. Yeah, because people that are Christian like that are xenophobic. It's like, anyway... Are you done? I'm done. I'm done. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. I need to have like a side podcast where I just like bitch about talk crazy. about weird Christian shit that I watch. Okay. So we do have studio time booked for next week. So we should be in We're the studio. We're just lying again. Why do you well, even say it? We just should be stop like saying it. Keep, keep watched. There will be another podcast. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you when you see us. Yeah. Okay. Well then, peace out. Let's just not do the podcast at all. <laughs> Your baby mama's podcast. Thanks for listening to the Baby Mamas Podcast. Make sure to like them on Facebook and give them a great review on iTunes. Have a good day.